This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today you are going to get a memorable front row seat to the incredible Springbok career of Brayton Pulser. Brayton, welcome to Front Row Rugby. Thanks Pete, good to chat to you man. Always a pleasure to chat to you. Brayton, we're going to start by looking at the trivia question for today. In 1996, the Springboks played Wales, France and which other nation on their end of year tour? Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below. We'll also find out if Brayton knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Brayton, just before I actually ask you the first question, I just want to say something so that our viewers know. I have known you since about 2006, if I recall correctly, and you have always been available every time I've asked you for an interview. And also something else people won't know is that you actually helped me a few years ago when I was completing my master's degree. So it really is a pleasure to have you on the show. Hmm. It's a pleasure, Pete. Uh, and it's wonderful to see how you also grown as a, as a human being, first of all. And uh, yeah, serious broadcaster these days. <laughs> Brayton, let's go to 1999 when you made your test debut for the Springboks against Italy. Talk to me about how you were feeling at that stage. Yeah, Pete, uh, you know, when you start playing professional rugby, it's every player's dream to obviously put on the green and gold. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it just doesn't happen. A lot of things have to go right or has to happen before you get to that moment. Uh, and I tell you, it was a special moment for me the day I... I, I put on that Springbok jersey for my first test against Italy uh, in PE. And uh, what a memorable day, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's a week that it went so fast. It was almost like a blur. Uh, but that moment, you know, when, you, when I went onto that field and, and sang the national anthem, it was, uh, it was really goosebumps, uh, mixed emotions, uh, and, and just one of, of, of almost like relief because you worked so hard to get to that moment. And now, obviously, you don't want to... I don't want to mess it up, but thank goodness, thank goodness for me against Italy that day. Uh, I, don't, I think Italy wasn't as strong back then. You know, they managed to to give me three tries on a platter, so I'm very happy for that. Uh, but the day went well, and it was a it was a special day. You know, when you make a debut, uh, it is really special. Uh, it it really is a a privilege and not a right. And uh, to score even three tries on top of it is, is even more special. So very fortunate day. A lot of things went right for me on the day. Uh, and uh, after that day, I'm, I'm forever grateful to have, to have started my, my Springbok career in such a fashion. Brayton, your inclusion in the side was also significant as a player of colour, especially in those days when there was only really one non-white player in the team, uh, even in the matchday squad. What were your feelings about that at that stage? Yeah, Pete, um, yeah, without going into too much detail, uh, it, was a, it was a tough time in South African rugby. Um, you know, obviously... At the time, players of colour, you know, wasn't really recognised, um, didn't really get the opportunities that, that some of them should. And thank goodness, today, it's, it's a different story. You know, a lot of the, the, the players of colour um, are some of the main guys in the Springbok team currently. And, and for me, as a, as a player who fought the battle uh, to make sure that these players are now giving the opportunity, uh, it, for me, it's, it's really heartwarming to see what has happened. But... I can tell you one thing, Pete, uh, from, a, from a boy who comes from a farm, my first two, three years uh, of traveling with the Springboks was, it was very political. And, and let me tell you, I'm, I'm as far from politics as day, days from night because I, I just, you know, I don't want to get involved in politics. I'm a sportsman and I want to play for my country because I love my country. I love the Springbok badge. But sadly, uh, you know, I had to, I had to face a lot of 
you know, political questions every time journalists had to talk to me overseas. And that was really tough for me because I had no in- interest. I didn't know what to answer them because I didn't know what was going on. Uh, and, and only now, years years later, that I realized, you know, at the time how how crucial that time was that I had to face these the media questions and the uncomfortable questions, if you like. Uh, but like I said, you know, for, fast forward a couple of years on and we had a place where so many players of color, they are merit, uh, you know, South African people just love some of those players. And uh, it's so wonderful to see that at least what Rossi has created with his management team and SA Rugby uh, is if you're good enough, doesn't matter what color you are, uh, you will get selected for the Springbok team. So what was your relationship like with Nick Mallett? Yeah, me and Nick, we came, we came a long way. Uh, at the time, you know, Nick Nick was a very stubborn coach. Uh, Nick is... Uh, uh, he's, he's obviously got his own ideas and, and ways of doing things. And um, and Nick can be a hard guy sometimes as well. I, I think we at the time we had a professional relationship, you know, because uh, Nick Nick didn't want to pick me at first. Uh, so I had to, um, you know, sort of show my talent over and over or I had to score twice all over and over so the media can put pressure on Nick to, to pick me. And at a point... Uh, you know, he, he uh, I suppose he had no choice to, but to pick me. Uh, and, and obviously because of the, like you say, you know, players of colour didn't get a, an opportunity that time. And it's because of that kind of, I think, uh, behaviour from, from some of the coaches at the time. You know, they they didn't really believe in the players of colour. And unfortunately at the time, there was a lot of white coaches in charge of the franchises. So thankfully for me, at Stormers in the Western Province, I was scoring tries for fun and I was... I was given opportunity, you know, by the likes of, of Alan Solomon, who was a wonderful coach, uh, Gert Smal, uh, Carl Duplessis, those guys, they, they really backed me. But but it took a time, took some time for Nick before he picked me. Uh, so, you know, we didn't start off on, on a wonderful foot. But I think as we got to know each other and, and, and Nick could see my work ethic and, and I wanted to be in the team, he, he finally gave me my chance. So I was very grateful for that. Uh, and, and again, you know, to, to young players out there, um, doesn't matter what colour you are, uh, particular coaches won't always like the way you play, and you probably won't suit their game plan. But you you, you gotta you gotta also uh, suffer through those bad times uh, and and stay stay focused on the goal you have as as an individual. Because uh, let me tell you, I've seen it all. I've been through it all. Um, nothing in life comes easy, and especially wanting to put a Springbok jersey over your head, uh, that certainly don't come easy. Um, so. So my battle, uh, you know, it wasn't always easy, but it's so rewarding, so rewarding for me as a person, first of all, and uh, that I didn't throw in the towel because at times you think to yourself, geez, what am I doing here? You know, is this even worth it? And uh, thankfully, I, I kept my eye on the ball, so to speak. And uh, yeah, the rewards, the rewards was absolutely fantastic. Brayton, I think it's fair to say that from a fan's point of view, we're all very grateful that you did stick it through because you ultimately did become a big fan favourite among the Springbok supporters. Let's talk about the 1999 Rugby World Cup. You were selected at fullback to play against Spain, an unusual opponent. And I remember watching that game, and even though the Springboks won by a fairly comfortable margin, it just appeared as if we were almost struggling to beat the Spanish that day, as if they were tough opponents. What was it about them as a small a nation that was so difficult to combat. I remember that game really, really well, and um, you know it was one of the games. I think yeah, it was Uruguay first, uh, where um, you know a lot of the I would almost say the, the first team guys would get a chance uh, at the time, and 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 the guys who were on the fringes, 
was always going to get a chance against Spain. You know, I mean, I was sort of in between um, because I went to the World Cup with some good form. And I actually felt that, you know, at some point I was going to get a chance, but it rarely happened until the third playoff against the All Blacks. But the Spanish game, it was wholesale changes. And as you know, when a team, uh, you know, sort of changed a lot with like 10, 11 players, uh, the rhythm is certainly disturbed. And I think that's what happened in the Spanish game. And I remember that, you know, we really struggled against them. They were really good and frustrating us. Uh, they were getting under our skin and, and, and on the day, you know, things didn't want to work for us. Uh, I remember, I think I had two breaks where I actually made twice of Venezuela pool. It was also in the team. Uh, and it wasn't for that. We would have had a hard time, you know, they were getting their tails up and uh, made it really difficult for us. So, yeah, one of those games that you get in the World Cup where the fringe players need to play. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way where you're just going to rock up against, even if it's a minor rugby country, uh, it won't just go your way, you know. You, you sport is uh, unbelievably interesting, especially live sports and in World Cups, uh, where, where when coaches do give the fringe players a chance, these guys are frustrated. They want to do well. There's a lot of individual sort of players who want to you know, push their agenda. And unfortunately, if you don't stick to the game plan, you know, it, it will be a sort of a, almost like a failed outing. And I think that's what happened in that game. Uh, guys wanted to do too much to show the coach they want to start the next week and uh, it boomeranged, unfortunately, for us. You mentioned that third-place playoff against the All Blacks. You scored a memorable try in that match to help us beat New Zealand that day. How do you remember that occasion? Yeah, it was uh, was so important for me. I remember we were on our way to, to, to Wales from, from London and uh, <laughs> Nick actually gave us off. Uh, and on our way, you know, while the French were playing the All Blacks, <laughs> uh, we got a text that to say that, geez, like France is beating <laughs> uh, the All Blacks, uh, you know. So we didn't expect to to play the All Blacks in the third place. They were the, the ultra favourites that year. And yeah, and, and Nick said, no, 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 come on, guys, we need to now prepare for this game. It became more important. And and obviously, again, a lot of the, the French players also get a chance uh, in that game. And I was one of them. And I was really grateful for the opportunity. And I remember it was also Henry Hannibal's last game. He was uh, unfortunately injured for the whole of the World Cup. You know, he had a bit of a niggle and then Yanni de Beer obviously slotted in and he did so well against uh, England and France. Um, so, obviously, we wanted to do well and because there was lots of disappointment after the semi-final against Australia uh, where we all know the Larkham drop. You know, we remember that game where... It was like neck and neck, you know, for so long. And unfortunately, the Aussies got the better odds that day because of a lack of drop. Uh, but in, in saying that, the third playoff was an important game for a lot of us. Uh, and certainly for me, you know, at the time I was obviously trying to revive my Springboard career because I was mainly a squad player that year. Didn't get lots of opportunities. Made my debut, but didn't get lots of opportunities. And, and now you want to try and cement your place in the Springbok side. And, and that game for me was vital. I remember Percy Montgomery, two drop goals against the All in that game. And I managed to get, you know, the solo try where I had to use some soccer skill. The, the bounce of the ball uh, favoured me as well. And I and I think uh, maybe if there was a TMO that time, I probably wouldn't have been given. But <laughs> I'll take it today, you know. So, yeah, again, it works for me. And I, I was almost like, you know, getting new motivation to say that, geez, you know, this is only the beginning. And uh, thankfully, we beat the, the mighty All Blacks that day. Let's fast forward to 2000. Mallard is now out of the picture. Harry Fulhoun has taken over. Uh, the first test is against Argentina in Buenos Aires. And you guys were instructed not to kick the ball that day. You actually scored two tries in that match. So I'm guessing that you particularly enjoyed that strategy. 
Yeah, 2000 for me was a wonderful, wonderful year. You know, I also became the player of the year that that year. Uh, you know, in tough competition. Um, so I scored a lot of tries in 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 2000. And yeah, we went overseas. Uh, played against Argentina and Harry Fulyun. You know, Harry brought new ideas. He had his own new philosophy, and obviously, Harry was way ahead of the game at the time. I need I need to tell you that. Um, Unfortunately, I think it was the uh, the right coach for the wrong time, and you know because Eddie was well, Eddie is such an intelligent man, and also the, the the players wanted to play for him. He had a really good relationship with the players as well, and yeah, uh, he went in with that mindset of we're not going to kick for the whole eighty minutes, and <laughs> at some point it became so difficult that Percy Montgomery just said, "No, boys, <laughs> we are so tired of chasing and running that we need to kick now." But uh, again. And it was a festive atmosphere. I don't know if you've been to Argentina, but a lot of the uh, uh, sort of you know uh, games get played in 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 soccer stadia. And that day, to me, who's been to soccer games, felt like a was like a soccer match. The Argentinian passionate people were there. They were just going ballistic, you know, shouting for their team. And it was a wonderful thing to see. Obviously, we were in the thick of things, you know, on the field, and we had to. To fight a very spirited Argentina team, and, and we almost lost that game. But one of the one of the best Springbok days in my life, certainly because it was such a wonderful festival. I haven't been to Argentina, Brayton, but I have had the privilege, I should say, of experiencing a FIFA World Cup match. Quite a few, actually, uh, where Argentina were involved, and their fans are just unbelievable. It's as you say, they they truly are magnificent. It's uh, it's an experience uh, that I would highly recommend to anybody. Uh, Brayton, let's uh, fast forward then to 2001. Uh, the Springboks lost a match to the All Blacks at Newlands, which I still personally think we should never have lost that match. Uh, we drew against the Wallabies, who were the world champions at the time in Perth. We also beat them at Loftus in the Tri Nations. Even though we weren't necessarily getting the results we needed or wanted, I thought that we were actually doing quite well. Would you agree with that? No, I agree with you. Again, you know, sometimes you you obviously try hard to do stuff, and sometimes uh, it doesn't work out for you. You know, uh, I mean, we. Springbok teams uh, always will be competitive, uh, but you know it's it's up to a coach certainly to create a framework where the team functions well with all the the talent you have to your disposal. And I, I think sometimes, unfortunately, coaches do get it wrong. You know where they they choose maybe the wrong personnel for what they want to do. You know, it's it's a fine line between right and wrong. And, and I'm not saying you know this coach is wrong or this coach is right, but uh, in in the modern world, uh, you know you you need You need uh, coaches and players who almost complement each other. I mean, I, I take the Stormers team currently at the moment. You know, uh, Dobbo uh, John Dobson is an absolutely fantastic coach, and apart from his his knowledge of the game and his skill level on on what he wants to achieve with the team, I think his man management is absolutely fantastic. And 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 especially me, who come through an era where some coaches were just private; they didn't really you know communicate to you. I think John Dobson has certainly got a spot on um, the way he's, he's taken players like Mani Lebok, Zeal, and Zas. Rowan Neal took time to find his feet. Dan Duplessis is playing, you know, best rugby his career. Ivan Ruiz was uh, he didn't they didn't want him at the Sharks, you know, and transform those players into world world beaters. Uh, for me, that's fantastic, and it's not just the coaching; it goes far deeper than that, and and, and that's why I say to 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 make my point is that uh, unfortunately at the time, you know. Uh, coaching is so important, and I think we've learned a lot how important coaching is these days. Uh, you can go to Rasi Rasmus as well. You know, same kind of of, of person who 
who first like sort of coach the human being, uh, you know, and and then the rugby player comes. I think that's so important. I think that's where a lot of coaches unfortunately get it wrong these days. And then into 2002, Harry Fulhun has been replaced by Rudolf Strauli. And again, we weren't really getting the results. But in the Tri-Nations, I think that it's fair to say that the performances were actually quite encouraging. And I think it culminated with a memorable win over the Wallabies at Ellis Park when Van der Greef scored their try right at the end. How do you remember that match? Yeah, also a game uh, I can't forget. Uh, we were up something like, geez, I think over like 20-0 in 20 minutes. And then... The Aussies, like they normally do, you know, the Griggins and the Larkins uh, just came back and, and suddenly we found ourselves wanting to try and win a game. And uh, that last 10 minutes of that game was just like like ping pong, you know, then they score, then we score. And uh, we really had to work hard for that game. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but Andre uh, Pretorius, he was a number 10. He got injured, like, uh, you know, at uh, Pecton's run the, the, the day before. And then obviously Brent Russell had to stick in uh, to 10. You know, they did an exceptional job, uh, Brent Russell. He was a, a player, obviously a lot of skill and flair and, and instinct. And, and that's what, what made him so unpredictable. And we scored some wonderful twice, but geez, kudos to the Aussies, you know, for coming back <laughs> in the manner that they did. It was a, it was certainly a dramatic finale. And then uh, Werner Greef, one of my best mates, you know, he's, uh, he's still, still a, a good mate of mine today. He just ran this fantastic line when Bola Conradi gave the pass to him and, and, and Bushy, as I call him, uh, you know, he, uh, he's not known for his kicking <laughs> and, uh, you know, he showed BMT and that's what he's got. He's, he's a guy who's, who's got B, exceptional BMT and obviously after the Huta, he put it against the sticks and geez, we were, we were more relieved than happy, I think, after that game because, you know, you kind of felt that we should have put them away in the first half and we never did. And it shows you you know, how competitive the professional sport at the highest level can be. Right in the week before that, when we lost to the All Blacks in Durban, there was an unsavory incident with a fan, Pitt van Sale, running onto the field and tackling the referee, David McHugh. What was your reaction to that? Yes, again, it happened in front of my eyes. I was standing there and I saw AJ going ballistic and uh, the AJ had to go with Pitt van Sale, unfortunately, but... You know, phew, um, the referees, man, it's a tough job. It really is a tough job. We've seen even today, every game, there's always talk about the referee, what he's done wrong, depending obviously which side you 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 support. And um, unfortunately, the referee in that game, you know, he got a few wrong, a few wrong. I remember I scored a try where the referee explained to us, James Dalton made contact. You know, he wasn't even close to the play. Uh, and it was a fair try. And at the, at, at the time, you know, that, that try was a difference between winning and losing, you know. Uh, that's how the All Blacks beat us that day. And uh, yeah, again, that game will obviously be remembered for the wrong reasons. But it shows you the fans uh, how, you know, upbeat they can get when uh, they feel their team has is, <laughs> is been, uh, you know, sort of put to a disadvantage by a referee. And obviously in rugby, we don't want to see that. But uh Jeez, man, there's so many rules these days. There's a lot of grey areas, and I think fans also get frustrated. But uh, uh, Pete Van Sale, <laughs> Pete Van Sale, I'm sure he's still a box supporter today. But you know, he just felt at the time it was right, right thing to do. And and unfortunately, as you know, the rugby culture don't really allow that kind of thing. But uh, you know, it shows you it can boil over when things don't go your way. And then on the end of year tour in 2002, we suffered some heavy defeats against France, Scotland, and then, of course, England, the 53-3 at Twickenham. What went wrong on that tour? 
yeah it was a uh, under the australia uh, it, it was a, it was was really some of the dark moments of my career you know again rudolf at the time uh, didn't really communicate a lot with the players you know there was um chopping and changing every week there was no consistency and there was a lot, lot of clicks in the team unfortunately um that's what i can remember and obviously the famous come stalwart as well um you know were part of that and against england obviously johnny wilkinson was a really really good player you know like he was a top quality one of the best in the world at the time and we had a plan against uh, johnny wilkinson but unfortunately the plan sort of again uh, boomerang because uh, janos labaskhni you know went to them went late and red card and then it was ticket for us uh, and I, i don't think i need to say more than that because from there it went pear shape and yeah it was one of my toughest days as Springbok as well because we had to defend the whole game and England at the time was a, was a really tough force to be reckoned with and they, they just blew us away. You mentioned Kamp Staldrat, Brayton. Uh, everybody that I've spoken to on this show has their own Kamp Staldrat story. What's yours? Yeah, it was, uh, there was an episode when we had to box each other, you know, and uh, again, <laughs> not sure what all the, the, the thinking behind it was from Little Australia and his men, um, but it was... It was just a horrible, horrendous time for us. But we had to box at the time. And I, I remember that the big boys were going first. And they had to go into each other. And it was, it was almost like a surreal. Like, like the guys were looking at each other and be like, what's going on here? Is this like for real? You know? And then, um, you know, coming from a farm, being a street fighter, <laughs> unfortunately, they gave me Derek Ochart. And, uh, you know, the, the problem was that I remember first, Like, for instance, you know, Werner Greve and Tinas Dabot went first. And these guys were playing around, you know, because you don't want to hit your mate. And then Rolf, Rolf, he sort of chipped in and said, guys, no, 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 we can't box like this. We have to, like, proper boxing, you know. And then from there, it was Fulham. And then me and Derek were going at each other. And then unfortunately, you know, I hit him at a spot where he almost, he certainly he collapsed. And then, you know, they, we got the medics in. And then, thankfully, after that, they had to stop the boxing because it was, it was just horrible. But, I mean, that was a moment where I almost got a fright, you know, because I hit him sort of here in his, uh, you know, throat. And then uh, he suddenly collapsed. And, and I tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not proud of it, but you had to defend yourself at the time, you know. But that was that was really a low moment. Uh, but, thankfully, after that, they stopped all boxing. But there were many a moments where just horrendous you know it's uh, you know we don't want to depress people more because we need we need a lot of positive vibes uh, out there at the moment but yeah no come started was just a just a horrible time Breton, when I was preparing for this interview and looking at the statistics, uh, it appears as if you only played one test in 2003 and that was against Georgia at the World Cup. Was that because of injury? Yeah, I had a bit of an injury, but I was I was I was good to go at the World Cup, but again, you know, coach Rolf Strali, he, he selected other players. Um, uh, I mean, uh, it's not like I was, wasn't playing well prior to the World Cup. Um, and again, you know, we, we the team was so in disarray going to the World Cup because of Cup Stahlrad and a lot of things that happened off the field. You know, I remember Quinton Davids and Theo Cronier. Uh, um, I can't remember, what's his name? Theo Cronier. Theo, Theo Cronier, not Theo. Theo Cronier, yeah, they had, a, they had an issue. There were many issues, you know. Kone Krieger obviously was our captain at the time, and, and then there was the other other clicks as well. So, you know, uh, again, the coach need to create an environment for everybody to feel happy. And I tell you what, you know, the, the World Cup team, that was it was certainly a happy team. And uh, we went with that sort of baggage and, and negative um, 
sort of vibe to the World Cup, and it, it was inevitable that we would never really go to the final. You know, so I remember me and Werner Khriev as well. We were very, we were, we were very frustrated uh, as well because we felt that we needed uh, uh, time to get into the team, but you know, Rudolf didn't really give us the chance. And I got a chance against uh, Georgia. I remember Skalberger's first game. Uh, it was it was a happy day for Skalki. You know, I think he's got to try to again. We suffered against Georgia. You know, it's a hard team. It's it really is a tough team, and uh, uh, we we beat them. But again, it was unconvincing. Uh, and yeah, it, it like I said, it was a matter of time before we had to bow it. Now you mentioned a moment ago that it would be better if we were a little bit more positive. So let's do that. Jake White came in in two thousand and four. Talk to me about the change in atmosphere in the Springbok camp. Yeah, day and night, day and night. Jake came in, uh, and it just brought basics to the team. I remember we were in disarray. There was a also a, sort of a, a very negative mood in the camp. Uh, but then you know Jake pulled me back. Uh, he got guys like Osterrand, um, Percy Montgomery, you know some of the old folk, and um, he tried he tried to create a culture of you know not like not really happiness, but just where players can feel comfortable. Uh, within the team and uh, like I said you know uh, I took my head off to Jake for, for 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 installing a bit of confidence into the team because it was really hard at the time like I said it was the same rugby was all over the place and you know people didn't want to be involved uh, with the team and I remember Ireland was the Grand Slam holders they were coming and, and people also didn't give us a chance you know uh, they came to South Africa we were in a camp in group for them for about Three weeks, and and at that time, Jake managed to get it right to just uh, get the the mindset of the players right. He got in a lot of young players who played well, players in form. But but like I said, the atmosphere he created was key for our success that year. And uh, we went into the Island Test knowing that we had a chance to beat them, although people didn't give us a chance. And you know, we we went in and we beat them. And again, it says says about the coach, the person, the character that Jake got into the side and. Uh, uh, it was it was just a wonderful time to be involved in a Springbok team where there's happiness and there's you know you feel valued as a team member and that to me was key. How special was it to win the Tri Nations that year? Yeah, it was uh, it was good. We I don't think as as a goals we set we didn't think in our wildest dreams we were going to you know win the Tri Nations. But like I said, uh, you know it's it's up to the coach to to make sure that players you know, perform to the highest that they can 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 be, the highest level. And Jake Jake managed to get that right. And, and he knew he knew it was going to be a tough ask, but for some reason, you know, the players just jolled, the players shared in the vision of the coach and uh, the rest is history. It was it was a beautiful year for us and uh, it was good to put the Springbok badge again, you know, uh, up against the best in the world and, and for us it was key. And then moving forward into 2006, you began to feature less in the Springbok team under Jake White. And then in 07, for the away leg of the Tri-Nations, you were part of that setup. But that was effectively a B team at the time. Did you know that at that stage it was unlikely that you'd be selected for the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, young players come through as well. And uh, there was there was tough competition as well. And uh, I, I knew, I knew that... Uh, it was going to be a hard task because prior to that as well, I was I went to France for two years, and uh, you know, so I was almost like out of the reckoning already. But I was grateful that I could still hang on for as long as I could. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I remember two thousand and six as well was a tough year for Jake as well. You know, the result didn't go his way really, and uh, unfortunately uh, for him, you know, he had to phew, he had to almost like he had to battle on his own uh, a lot of issues. 
uh, that was happening. But thankfully, SA Rugby kept him on board. And obviously, the next year, he went and uh, win the World Cup with that squad. But um, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not easy being a Stumba coach, let me tell you. Uh, and, and yeah, thankfully for me, I, like I said, I could be involved for, for as long as I could. Uh, and you just got to be grateful for, for those little moments. Brayton, you were a try-scoring machine for the Springboks during your career. Is there one that stands out particularly as a favourite? No, not really, Pete. It'll be, um, you know, it'll be unfair to to sort of then you know like pull pull out one uh, because I think every, everyone is special, and uh, you know I think it's up to the fans to decide which one for them is the best because you you work hard to. To score a try for the Springboks, you know, because it's a it's a highly competitive environment when you play for the Springboks every week, and uh, to get a try every time, it's it's a combination of hard work of the forwards, uh, and obviously, you know, a combination of when a move get together and you, you can just finish at their times. So I'm very grateful for all my tries that I've scored in a Springbok jersey, you know, and uh, that's all I can say because at the end of the day, you know, it's it's, it's a team effort. You guys work guys work hard to give you good ball as a winger. And I remember initially as well, uh, it was very conservative game plans for the Springboks, you know, only later on it became a bit better. So that's why, you know, these days guys like uh, Makazoli and Cheslin and Kirtley, they score twice for fun because with their defensive pattern and when they play expensive against some teams, they do score a lot of tries. So uh, it's good to see that too, that the box now have one or two options, you know, that they can throw out to, to, the, op- to the opponent. But yeah, just in all, um, no, 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 it's, it's, it's unfair to, to single out one try. Who was your toughest opponent? Yeah, there were plenty. I remember initially it was a guy called Joe Roff, you know, for, for Australia, the Wallabies. He, he's such a rugby, he's got such a rugby brain. He was such an intelligent player. And the, and the angles that he ran always was really, really tough. And then obviously, you know, played against the older guys, Jonah Lomu, the late great Jonah Lomu. I was very fortunate to play him many a time. And he was just a freak of nature, you know. So I would say those two players made it really, really difficult for me, uh, you know, as a smaller guy. But, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful mutual respect over the field. And that's uh, the wonderful thing about the rugby culture. Grayson, I know that these stories are not necessarily for public consumption, but is there a particularly funny moment from your time with the Springboks that you can share with us? Yeah, this uh, Pete. Now you put me on the spot, man. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, I can, I can, I can, uh, I can recall one day uh, Quentin Davids. Yeah, we had a horror time with the the uh, the Springboks, you know. And um, uh, at some point, the coach just said, "Guys, what's wrong? Why? What am I doing wrong? What can we do?" And then Quentin Davis, he's not a guy who spoke a lot in the team, you know. And uh, he just stood up. And he just said, um, "Well, coach, I, I can one thing from where I can say one thing from where I come from. You know, it's it's not always easy. You know, Quentin comes from the Cape Flats, and he said, uh, but in a very serious manner, you know, he said, when two gunmen meet, one must die, <laughs> and the whole team just started laughing. You know, and he wasn't serious. And I tell you what, that was almost like an icebreaker in uh, you know in the uh, team meeting that day." And needless to say, that next uh, week, you know, we went and won. Uh, but that was quite funny at the time. And it was so needed from a guy like Quentin Davis, a character who doesn't speak a lot and uh, just uh, tell us the story, you know. So that's one story I can I can tell you guys and share with you. That's a great line. I think I'm going to try and use that myself in my... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Brayton, uh, just in terms of these days, uh, when you watch modern rugby, is there a, a certain player that stands out for you as a as a favourite? Yeah, without a doubt, Jason Colby. You know, he reminds me a lot about myself. Um, he's just uh, he's got a 
just a phenomenal strike rate as a as a try scoring try scoring machine, uh, and he, he scores tries for fun. He's just got a great feel for the game, and it's it's uh, you know with a small frame, he's so he's so uh, physical. Um, so Cheslin's got it all. He's, he's obviously worked a lot on his uh, ball in air, competing as well on the wing. He wins a lot of battles against tall men. And his sidestep and speed, you know, he used to his uh, his ability and just his rugby intelligence for me is just wonderful. I just I just love the player and, and the way he goes about goes about his business on and off the field, and it's just exceptional. You know, it gives a lot of uh, smaller guys hope as well out there. And for me, uh, may the legacy of the small men continue. And we've seen you on SuperSport, obviously, quite a lot uh, in the last few years. What else are you up to these days? Yeah, Pete, uh, there's a lot of events that I do, a lot of motivational talking that I do, you know, at schools. Uh, and, and for me, uh, charity, you know, charity work is, is important. And I think with the SA Rugby Legends in South Africa, we do a lot of uh, charity work. Uh, and, uh, you know, and especially in South Africa these days where there's a lot of challenges, you know. Um, we, we as ex-sportsmen as well, we try and, and help where we can. I mean, you can't change the whole world or the whole country, but... Uh, I think, you know, just my motto as well, my plea to people out there where they can make a difference, please help because, you know, every little bit helps and it means a lot to so many people. And that's what I'm busy with here. All right, Brayton, sounds good to me. Let's finish with the trivia question again from earlier. In 1996, the Springboks played Wales, France and which other nation on their end of year tour? Do you know the answer, Brayton? Pete, I could be wrong. It's either Scotland or Ireland. I'm going to go for Scotland. All right. As it turns out, we started in Argentina that year and then we went to Europe. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. Cool. (laughs) You got me there. (laughs) Brayton, it really was an absolute pleasure having you on Front Row Rugby today. Again, from a very personal point of view, it's always lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time and I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Thank you, Pete. And stay well, man. Thank you. Last time on Front Row Rugby, I had former Tri-Nations and World Cup champion Albert van den Berg on the show. You can go and watch that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, I'll have Franco Smith here. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.